once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. And today you're going to hear from me. I am planning on doing quite a few episodes solo. Uh, they, they won't be two-hour episodes, but but just shorter things. Uh, one, if I have some, some commentary or some thoughts that I would like to add in about different um, patterning or things that I have, we, me and my guests have talked about during an interview, but also to tell my story. I've gotten a lot of requests for that. Uh, I've, gotten a, I've gotten a couple demands for that. And... <laughs> Oh, it's so big and so overwhelming that I'm always like, where do I start? Where do I start? Uh, and I guess the only place to start is really at the beginning. So let's just talk about me, I guess. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully you guys will find me more exciting than I find me at this point because I have to live with me every day. So I was raised in the Mormon church, um, born and raised in it, very much a, like, we didn't have a pioneer family. For those of you who are not Mormon, that means you can trace your ancestry all the way back to the pioneers coming, you know, across the mountains into the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, but we did have several generations. So it, it was definitely a legacy type of family, uh, very heavy in tradition, my family, my my personal family were not farmers because uh, my dad did not enjoy that. So he was like departed from that. But but my uncles were farmers. The family legacy is definitely in farming. I grew up in rural Idaho where I was surrounded by, yeah, agriculture. Uh, where I went to church, it was very, very rural, very agriculture based. Um, most of the families did some sort of farming or ranching or dairy farming or something. Now, this is a little bit significant because this does set my uh, growing up apart a little bit from people who were raised Mormon, say, in New York City. <laughs> I can never say, like, raised in New York City without saying, like, New York City! Who, rem who remembers the commercial? I'm aging myself. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> now, now you can all take guesses as to how old I am. Um, <clears throat> but there was a, a rigid uh, traditionalism to that. There was very much a patriarchal system that was probably a little heavier than you would find elsewhere. You know, the men and the boys went out and worked the farm and the women stayed home and cooked and canned and cleaned and had lots of babies. Like that's, that's what I grew up around. And honestly, <laughs> I hated it my whole life. <laughs> I hated it. It was never who I was. 
Um, I always felt like the odd man out, even though my family weren't farmers. Um, it was very obvious that I, I was different. I felt different. Uh, I actually dreamed of going to New York City forever. Like, I was like, please just give me the city life where I can, like, be a singer and, like, be an actress on Broadway. Uh, so, like, that was not a great fit for me in a lot of ways, which is funny because I am now, at this point in my life, starting to appreciate not being in a subdivision, uh, but it has taken a very long time to get there. And it is also funny because I have a child who <laughs> we drove out to get some corn because my uncle still grows corn and he puts in this big old patch for the family every year. So we were going out to pick corn and uh, I corn topped. For those of you who don't know that, that means getting up at the butt crack of dawn and going out where it's cold and it's wet and it's gross and then it's hot and humid and sticky and nasty and you walk up and down these corn rows pulling the tops or the tassels off the corn so that they can cross pollinate uh, and create the hybrid corn that you want it's not a fun job uh, so I grew up doing that so we go out to this cornfield and my daughter is like you got to grow up out here she was so jealous and I was like what <laughs> Oh, it's just this poor kid. She's like, I lived the life that she desperately wanted and she's living the life that I wanted. Anyway, um, so that's that's kind of how I was raised. I, I went to a small high school where everybody knows everyone and anything that you did is never forgotten. Uh, I then went to Rick's College. It's called, it's BYU-Idaho now, uh, but it is a Mormon college. And... I didn't think it was super weird because I, I was just everyone that I knew went to Rick's or BYU. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was a church college. Like we had rules. We had a curfew. You couldn't have boys past, you know, oh, they called it the chastity door. Yes, yes, we did. Because uh, the living room and the kitchen were in the front. Boys could be in there. But then there was a door that went back to the bathrooms and the bedrooms and like boys were not allowed past that line. Uh, very, you know, dress code, the whole nine yards. So I, I would not say that I had a normal college experience. Um, there were a lot of health problems happened in there, not super important. And I'm sure at some point I'll bring them up. But uh, uh, eventually I ended up going on an LDS mission, which I swear I would never do. But I ended up being a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I served in upstate New York. I actually served near the Palmyra area, which is where the church started, and I felt very lucky to be there. I met my husband while I was out there, so he was also a Mormon missionary. Uh, we came home. We were married. We I had two kids that were both baptized in the Mormon church. Um, so about the time I think my oldest was probably six or seven um, these years might be incorrect because I'm recording, which means my ability to do math went down to like, as if that part of my brain doesn't exist. So let's say, <laughs> let's say for your argument's sake that my son was six or seven, which would have put my daughter at four or five. Uh, I actually had a really bad experience in the Mormon temple and it was just, it was some things were happening in there that I thought couldn't be, that didn't make sense with the doctrine and I remember leaving and getting in my car that day. And this was, this was my first crack. Like this was my first break. Um, and it was a big break because I got in my car and every single 
thing crumbled around me. Like my entire testimony, my entire faith just crumbled because I could not reconcile what I had experienced. Um, and it, I'm, I'm not going to share it right now. Just, I mean, I may at some point, but it's nothing creepy or weird. Or I know people always ask me things like, do Mormons have sex on the temple altars? We don't, we really don't. Although I did watch the FLDS documentary and now I understand where that came from, but like the mainstream, that is not a thing. Um, but I remember sitting in my car in the temple parking lot and just being like, oh my gosh. And then I was terrified because how, how, how could I be feeling this way? How could I look at this thing? Um, because I had been taught like most members, right? That this church was the only way to salvation. This was the only way to get to heaven. This was the only way to live with God again. This was the only way to stay with my family forever. This was the only way to have blessings in this life. This was the only way to do anything. And not only was it the only way, but like, wow, I had won the lottery by being born into a family that was a part of this church. Like the odds were so, you know, infinitesimal and I had done it. Like I was here in this family. And so it was horrible. Like, and I, I couldn't look at it and I shoved it to the side as if it wasn't happening and tried to just focus on like, you know, we do our thing and we go to church and, uh, about similar timing. And I, I wish I knew exactly how long it was, but I, completely blocked this out until eight years later when my husband reminded me. Uh, so apparently, shortly after that, my husband sat me down and said, I don't think I believe in this anymore. And I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to be Mormon. And uh, I did not handle it well at all, which is common in the Mormon faith because we, we were taught that like to, to go to the temple and get married to your spouse is for time and all eternity. Okay. So this is a forever thing, but more so than that, like you were each other's ticket into eternity. Like I couldn't get there without him. He couldn't get there without me. So in Mormonism, it's really, really common to have a divorce when one partner loses the faith because it's not just, it's not just a faith. Like they're saying to you, I can't take you to heaven anymore. And so uh, people will get divorced and go find someone who can take them to heaven. So, and I realized that for people where this is not the case, it sounds a bit extreme and it is a bit extreme, honestly. Um, so yeah, I didn't handle it well. And I left the room at some point and again, I did not remember this had happened. Like I was, and which makes sense to me now because I was reeling from this complete faith collapse that I had not told my husband about. And I was pretending didn't exist. And I was straight arming clear out to the side. Um, so then when he hit me with that, like it was, I couldn't handle it. Like I just couldn't, the cognitive dissonance, like it was just off the charts. And so um, I blocked it out completely. And apparently the amazing man that I, that I married sat on that bed and said to himself, well, I can either stay married to my wife or I cannot be a Mormon anymore. And I love my wife. So I guess I will just do what I need to do. And 
It's it made so much more sense when he told me because there were so many Sundays where he would say like, "Are we going to church today?" And I was like, yeah, "We go to church every Sunday." Like, why do you keep asking me that? And now I'm like, "Oh, because he was like, what do I have to do? Are we going? We're going. Okay, let's go." Um, but that so those two things happened back to back, and then for the next six years. I tried to be okay. For the next six years, I would oscillate back and forth between pretending like everything was fine and ignoring the screaming in my head and in my body. Um, And then there would be other times where I I would say things in church because I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, And usually those things were done out of a very defensive manner to those around me. Like I was really good at sacrificing myself. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are going to relate and understand that. Uh, I was very, very good at sacrificing myself. So like pain and trauma to me, I was like, well, it's okay because... Hmm. Can Devery do this without crying? I don't think she can. Um, so because when it was toward me, what I had done and what I had trained myself to do was to see that as a flaw in myself. So if I was better, if I was more righteous, if I was just, if I, if I read my scriptures more, you know, enter 27,000 excuses, if I was just morally, you know, superior to what I actually was, then those things wouldn't bother me. And so instead of feeling like that was something I needed to um, run from, uh, that made me buckle down harder because I was like, if I just am better, right? If I just am better, this will be okay. And that, I mean, it was horribly destructive to me and a big part of why I chose the title uh, that I did for this podcast, The Silencing Women in the Name of God, because it silenced me quite thoroughly. Because you can't do much of anything when you are lost and drowning in complete self-abuse. You can't see anything out of a sea of self-abuse. It is just all a blur. And really, like, if I had to try to to put a visual around this, which I, I do like doing, so let's see if I can do this. If I had to put a visual around it, I would I would say it's like you're in a sphere of water and it is swirling and swirling and swirling around you and you can't see through it. You can't see out of it. It is throwing you around. It is tossing you around, but you can't see anything else because you are locked inside this chaotic sphere that you you can't escape from um and so that was its own thing and would have kept me there forever probably but it was (laughs) what what really kept me moving forward on this path out uh granted I was moving forward uh kicking and screaming and self-abusing the whole way but what kept me moving forward is that I would I would sit in meetings uh, Relief Society was the worst for me, I think, which was just the women's meeting, but they all were not great. Uh, and I was acutely aware of the pain that was being caused to the people around me. I was acutely aware of the suffering that was being inflicted um, 
under the guise of, of help. I, oh God, I remember one time I was sitting in Relief Society and we had a lesson that was actually beautiful. Uh, I was so happy because this lesson was a rarity in that um, the teacher was praising the people in the room, particularly the mothers. And she was saying, you know, we, we need to cut ourselves some slack, give ourselves a break. Like we are doing the best that we can, you, you know, give yourself time. Like if you need self-care, take self-care. And I like my heart was lifting and I was looking around the room because that mama bear, that lioness tendency that would kept coming out, like was quieting down. It was like my light, like my lion, like sat down in the back and like purred, right? Like it was like, oh, okay. Like excellent. And as I'm looking around, I'm watching these women and a lot of them have very small children in their laps, right? And they're starting to straighten. Like you can literally see their spine straighten and their shoulders kind of come up as if the bricks and weights that had been on them were, had been removed by this teacher. And I just thought, thank you. Thank you. Because that's not what we usually got. Like it usually always was do better at something, right? And these poor women are exhausted from trying to take care of their seven kids or, you know, and do all of the other things. And I, I was, I, guys, I was just so happy. And then a woman in the front raised her hand. And I knew this woman pretty well. So my immediate thought was, no, 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 no. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And the teacher called on her. And what she said was, I used to think this exact same thing. I used to think that I needed time for myself, time away from my kids. And then I started reading the scriptures more and I started going to the temple more. And I realized that I didn't need that selfish time anymore that I was, you know, revitalized and I could, and I could do all the things I needed to do and spend time with my family and da, 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 da. And I wanted to throw a book across the room and scream <laughs> because all those straight and spine and all of those shoulders like just rolled forward again as and you could feel the energy in the room just collapse because what she had said was if you just read your scriptures more <laughs> all of the problems that you're facing will not be a problem and this is inherently problematic in and of its own because that is exactly what I was in, which is that self-shame cycle. These are not real problems. These are not real things. It is my fault. I am not righteous enough. I am not good enough. I am not holy enough. I am not trying enough. Even though they were trying so much that they could barely function. So those types of instances kept bringing up this inner, this inner protector, I guess. And I felt so silly. Guys, I felt so silly because I was like, who am I? Who am I that I am supposed to like say like what's right or what's wrong or what's damaging or whatnot? Like I don't have a calling here. I'm not asked to do something here and I'm a woman. So I don't actually have the right in the Mormon church to uh, bring up stuff like that. And yeah, people will say you did. I did have the right. And I, I had the right as far as I, like, no one taped my mouth shut. Like, no one would have held me down or prevent me from talking to someone in authority. But the someone in authority was always a man. And my complaints or my concerns would have been listened to. And that would have been the end of it. So, um, so yes, there was, there was a lot of that frustration. But that kept happening. It kept getting worse. And then my kids are getting older. 
and I am, guys, I am drowning. Like Sundays have started to become the absolute worst day of the week for me. I have started to dread them because I feel kind of okay during the week. And then Sunday comes and I feel like a piece of shit and not in a good, like, sometimes we have to see our flaws so we can grow kind of way. I am very familiar with that place. This is not this. This is that self-abuse sphere of water that is not helpful to anyone. So now my kids are getting older and my son, (laughs) my son, I can tell, and I've known for years, like this kid's not going to stay in the church. He's not going to. And it scared me because Mormon doctrine, eternal families, okay? Not only eternal families, and this is really significant to my path outward. So not only eternal families are important, but like the, so the doctrine is, is that all of, all of the members of the family must stay in the faith, must be righteous, must keep the commandments, must keep your uh, temple covenants in order to qualify for this covenant you made of eternal families, right? In addition to that, the doctrine is, is that as parents, our responsibility is to guide and lead our children. And that if we fail in that, so if we don't do the job well or right, then the sins of the children are upon the heads of the parents. And I don't know if I need to explain how toxic that is, but it is, um, yeah, it's very damaging and it takes away free will really is what it is, what it does. So I have this enormous pressure on myself that I have to convince this child that this is the truth to save both of us now. Uh, But my son is, he's very logical, very logical, um, and very, very intelligent. And so... I knew that I I couldn't bullshit him, okay? Like, I couldn't be like, well, that's just because God said so. Like, that was not gonna cut it. And if my son felt like something was a lie or that, like, I was lying or I was being dishonest, oh, it was all over. Like, it would just shut off. And so what I found myself doing is I had to start, oh, man, I had to stop ignoring things. Okay, so because let's say I'm in the main meeting and there was something I didn't like or that that's not even it. It wasn't about liking. There was something that struck me in my core as horribly incorrect or wrong or damaging. Um, When it was just me, I would internalize it like, well, you have a problem with that because you are clearly not a good human. Um, And there is a flaw in your soul somewhere that needs to be repaired. But I couldn't do that with my child. And so suddenly I had to become very, very aware of what was being said. And I had to start picking it apart for what was actual like doctrinal truth in the church versus what was uh, someone's personal opinion, because we don't have paid clergy in the Mormon church until you get high enough. Uh, So in a general meeting, it's just people just talking. (laughs) Like You never know what someone's going to say. Um... But, you know, trying to pick that apart so that I could lean over to my my 12-year-old boy and be like, uh, that's not correct. Or uh, that's not entirely true because what he's saying uh, implies A, B, C, D, and that's actually not uh, a doctrine of the church. Or um, that is a doctrine of church, but it's kind of hard to understand. So, like, let's talk about when we get home. So I'm having to do this 
every Sunday in a desperate attempt to save him, right? And what I actually didn't realize until just now as I was recording, this was a pivotal line to getting me out because I had to start looking at things through his perspective, uh, which did not have the self-shame. That wasn't there. Okay. So now I could start to be like, wait a second, wait a second. And so this goes on, guys, this goes on for years. I am so tired of feeling awful. (laughs) I am so so tired of feeling awful. But because I had been taught the way that I was taught, feeling awful still was equating to me as the way back to God. Because the natural man has to be tamed in order to get back to God. So it was a... um, Oh, it was, you know, it was, it was righteous pain in that I had to fix this to be good enough, right? So it, it wasn't registering yet as like, this is not okay. And it wasn't registering that way because I just wouldn't allow it to, because what would that mean? And this is another reason why I have to do this podcast because people take this for granted. People will, people will look at women within a religious organization who are unhappy, who are being abused, uh, who, who are, you know, psychological messes because of the spiritual abuse that's happening within the system. And for those who have not been raised like that, it's very easy. And I see it all the time. Well, why doesn't she just leave? Why doesn't she just step away from that? Why does she, why does she keep going to church? And that's not, that's not, the question, the question is never, should I go to church or not? The question is, am I willing to put my eternity on the line? Am I willing to run the risk that I'm wrong and that I'm now going to go to hell? Am I willing to run the risk that I'm going to step away and then in 45 years, I'm going to be like, oh my God, I've made a horrible mistake and it's too late because I've lost all of my children to, you know, apostasy. And so now I'm held responsible for their sins because I walked away. Uh, Is it going to cost me my marriage? Is it going to, like, is it going to cost me my children? Are they going to stop talking to me if they're older? Is it going to cost me my family, my parents, my siblings, my cousins? Like the the thing that you're actually looking at when you are contemplating walking away from a religion like this is everything. It is everything. It is the equivalent of someone walking up to your door and saying, hey, I need you to come with me. But yeah, you can never see your family again. Maybe you can never like do any of the things that you did. Also, your entire reality is going to collapse around you. Everything that you thought was true is not in fact true. Every rule that you lived your life by, you now have no rules, which sounds great, except it's not because we all need security, right? If you're raising children, every rule you thought you had for raising your kids is now not a thing. Like it is staggering the depth and breadth of this choice. It is the literal equivalent of standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon with no parachute on and jumping off and just like praying that every bone doesn't break when you hit the bottom. That's what it is. And so like, I just, I, I want to help people understand not only those who are going through it. So they understand why this is so hard because sometimes you can't even look at that, 
but also for all of you who are around people like this, who are around people that need help, like this is not a small or simple or easy choice. This is the most impossible thing that they have ever, ever done. So this continues for a while. Um, and there are a lot of things that happen. I mean, this is, I think six years is, is this phase that I'm talking about right now. And I remember specifically during that time, trying over and over and over again to rebuild uh, the testimony or my belief in this, this church that had crumbled those six years earlier. And I, I kind of envisioned it like a brick wall. Like I would like pick things up and I would try to build this wall and then something would happen or I would realize something and it would just all crumble. Um, specifically, I remember one day sitting in church and sitting in a pew um, and listening to a talk and it was, I mean, it was visceral. Like I wouldn't say that it was a vision, but like I'm, it was visceral in my feeling and being very aware of like this brick wall just crumbling again and just like this puff of dust around these, these bricks and me being so tired of picking these bricks up because it didn't matter how many different ways I put it together and how many talks that I read from the prophet and his apostles and that said, put the bricks this way. It didn't matter. It always collapsed. And I yielded finally this day. Like I, I mean, I, I yielded, like my body physically melted back into the bench and I was like, okay, okay, fine. Like I can't keep trying to put these bricks up. It's not working. So what bricks can I keep? Are there any of these bricks that I can keep? And I picked up in my mind, like I picked up this brick that was Jesus Christ. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's not a no, but like, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, I can't, I can't build with an I don't know. So I set it down and it was like, you know, Joseph Smith, I don't think so, but like, I don't know. And I set that one down and I, I was like, okay, okay, stop. We're going about this the wrong way. Pick up the most basic brick you can. And it was like, all right, God, do I believe in God? And I remember feeling out like emotionally, like it felt like, like this expansion, like of me searching for something. It was like, is it there? Like, can I feel anything? And I felt something. I felt something. And I was like, okay, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know the traits of it. I don't know anything. The only thing that I know in this moment is that I do believe that there is something larger than myself. And that is what I have. And this is the only brick that I have is that I'm pretty sure I believe in God. It was so painful to move from a place of, I have all the answers because Mormonism does a very good job of telling you that. But I think there are a lot of high demand religions that say the exact same thing, right? Like you don't have to worry about death. You don't have to worry about anything because we have all of the answers. Um, and so to move from that mentality to, I'm pretty sure that I think that God exists <laughs> was very hard and scary for me, but I just couldn't 
rebuild this wall anymore. And so I was like, all right, so we have this one brick and instead of picking from this pile of bricks that I have laying here, I'm going to start from scratch. So I'm going to, I'm going to read my scriptures. I'm going to study. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to see like what other bricks we can put on. So, and I don't, I wish I had like a, like a really clear detailed year by year timeline, but, um, even if I was journaling at that time, guys, there's no way in hell I was going to admit that in a journal, uh, because it made it more, it would make it more real. And so I was just kind of going on in survival mode. So year seven and eight, I have a better timeline of what started to happen. So, uh, year seven, I was traveling a lot for my books. I was going to a lot of different Barnes and Nobles. I was doing comic cons, um, and a lot of things started to happen. Like my my worldview exploded. I went from this very small town with this very small circle of things and people that I interacted with to this very, very large circle. And there were a lot of belief systems that I had been taught or that I had held in the Mormon church that were just blown straight out of the water um, just from knowing and meeting people who were not members of my faith and going, oh, well, this is so weird that I am in a faith that claims to have God's truth and claims to be like God's chosen people. And yet, and and yet I would trust these, uh, this other group of people to help me if I needed help far more than I would trust the people that were supposedly God's chosen people. Like it started to set more things on its head and it sounds so simple, but guys, when you grow up in a small of areas I did, it's inherent. It's just what happens when you grow up in a very restricted circle of influence. Um, so that started to crack open some more walls of like, wait a second, like I thought just this was wrong, but there's more wrong here than I actually realized was wrong. Um, but I'm still gripping on to this religion for dear life because again, letting go means going to hell and taking my children with me. So I'm still holding on and I start listening to podcasts while I'm traveling and while I'm like getting ready in the morning to go do events all day. And I started listening to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and I was, oh my gosh, I was so careful, you guys. Like I would read the, um, <laughs> I would read the little snippets about what it was about. And if it sounded like something that was going to be contrary to the religion that I had, I wouldn't listen to it. Now, this is another tactic that is used within high demand religions. Um, I'll speak specifically to Mormonism because I'm sure there'll be some slight variations in other high demand religions, uh, but it's it's consistent amongst people that I've talked to. Uh, Mormonism just does it very, very blatantly. Uh, so Mormonism teaches to not read or expose yourself to, quote, anti-Mormon literature but that definition has expanded immensely from it. That, that doesn't just mean like somebody who's speaking poorly about the church. That means anything that stands in opposition to the church, uh, you shouldn't expose yourself to that. It's dangerous because uh, that's Satan. That's Satan trying to get to you. And so somewhere in this time frame, I start what I now realize is the beginning stages of my deconstruction. Um, I started looking for answers really heavily, like not looking for just like read scriptures to be uplifted and closer to God, like actually looking for answers. Uh, and I made a choice at that point that 
I don't know. I, I guess I assumed that it was a normal choice. And I'm realizing now that it's not as common of a choice as I thought that it was. Um, I continued to avoid anything, like any literature, any articles, any anything that stood in opposition to church doctrine. I continued to, like, I was getting up at 5 o'clock to read scriptures and to read conference talks, uh, which, uh, sorry, conference talks. General conference is a meeting that the Mormon church has twice a year and all of the, the high, high ups talk. So the prophet, which would be equivalent to the Pope is the closest thing. Um, and his apostles. And then there's some people under them that will give talks. Those talks are printed in a magazine, uh, and put online and referenced all year long as like teaching material for the church. So, I was reading those. I was reading talks from years ago um, because really I think what I was doing is I was looking for proof that it was right, right? That like it was going to be okay and I could find the answers. And the reason that I did it this way, it was a very, it was a very conscious choice. Um, What I was worried about, what I did not want to have happen was... For me to be influenced or to read something uh, from, let's say, an actual anti-Mormon source, which I realize now are just, you know, the truths about the church the church doesn't like. But, like, I didn't want to read anti-Mormon stuff or I didn't want to read stuff from another religion and be like, yeah, yeah, like, all of this is wrong and this is right and then realized 10 years later, oh, I actually had just been deceived by that person (laughs) as well. And now I don't know where I'm at. And so it was really, really important to me that I knew inside, that I knew without a doubt for certain by myself, whether or not this was actually true or not. Um, So I started having to pull up all of these things that I had been avoiding, like all those bricks that I left on the ground that I was like, we'll just leave you here. I can't pick you back up. I was like, well, crap, I have to actually pick all of these up and look at them and decide what I think. Like I have to decide if I think this is real or if this is complete nonsense. And so I started that and we're talking, you know, like things like um, uh, baptism, the resurrection, the atonement, uh, Joseph Smith, uh, like all of it, all of it. Every single simple teaching, like charity, love, faith, like everything. So I started, I started doing that. And and honestly, guys, like what I really thought would happen is what I always thought would happen, that I will study harder, I will study more, and I will find the answer I'm looking for. And I'll be like, oh, it all makes sense now. Like I can just rebuild this wall. And that's not what I was finding. What I was finding was a growing dissatisfaction and a growing sense of, of harm that I was seeing. Um, and again, it wasn't just for me, it was across the board. Um, and it threw me into this, this horrible, horrible place of, I can't reconcile where I'm at. I can't move forward. I can't move backward. I don't know what to do. And let me tell you, this is an absolute awful place to be. And I think this is a place where a lot of people 
just kind of say it's too much, forget it, and they step away from the edge of that cliff, which is fine. We all know when it's our time to jump, so no judgment here. But it is horrific, and I can't stress enough how painful this was for me. Um, part of the pain was my refusal to let go. Okay, so the way that I describe it a lot is it felt like it felt like I had one arm attached to one horse and one arm attached to another horse, and they both were sent running off in opposite directions. Like I felt like I was being ripped apart, ripped apart. Um, I was desperate for relief. I was desperate for an out. Um, I was desperate for anything, anything that would have made this okay. And it was this time, so about seven years in, it was this time that, uh, I mean, listen, it was obvious. Like people from church could tell that like I was not doing great. Like I had talked to a couple people and I had been very, very honest about where I was at, um, about my confusion and my frustration, but like I was, I was not okay. So it was about this time where my husband brings up to me again that he's not really sure if he believes in the church. Seven years later, this man kept his mouth shut for seven years going through the motions because he loves me. Yes, he is amazing. So he brings it up to me and guys, I was so excited. I mean, like scared shitless, but so excited because this was my out and I knew it was my out. Uh, I wrote a chapter about this for my book and the way that I put it in there is I was like, this was my easy button. For those of you who remember those like Staples commercials where you had the easy button, it was my easy button. And I was just slapping that thing for everything I was worth because I was like, yes, please like, get me out because what I knew would happen is that he would say, I don't want to be Mormon anymore. And I would say, well, I mean, I still believe, but like, I love you. <laughs> and so like, I will support you and go with you like the good, dutiful wife that I am. And then when people asked me like, oh, like, have you left the church? Do you not believe? Like, I can be like, oh, no, no, like, that's not it. It's just I'm supporting my husband. <laughs> See, so I didn't have to make a choice at all. Like, I could just like stop it right where it was and be like, well, it's just Zach. Like, it's just Zach. That's that's the problem. You know, it's my husband. That's it. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, I said, OK, well. What do you, what do you want to do? And he sat there in silence for what felt like an excruciatingly long amount of time. And I was prepping myself. Like I was like choosing my words, right? Like I was like imagining in my head that he was going to say, okay, we're going to, I don't want to go to church anymore. And I was going to be like, okay, well I'll support you. And you know, I understand. I had everything like on the tip of my tongue waiting to just roll out. And that man looked at me and he said, will stay. And the air just like burst out of me. And I was like, what? What? And I was like, why? And he, he looked at me and he said, you're not ready yet. He said, I know what's going to happen if we leave now. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll say, let's leave. You're going to go with me. Kids are going to stop going to church. And then it is just a matter of time before you start to feel guilty and then you'll go back and then you'll bring the kids back 
And then you're going to start getting angry and resentful because I'm not going with you. And then to make you happy, I'll go back. He's like, you're not ready. And I died a little inside <laughs> because that meant that I, I couldn't avoid the tidal wave that was on the horizon and I could feel that it was there. And uh, so that led into the last year of this. This, le- this leads into year eight. And that man has more wisdom than people realize. Uh, and that I realize because uh, as you'll hear as we move forward, that year was absolutely critical for me in, in finalizing my decision. It was absolutely the most excruciating, painful, horrible year of my life. But I had to go through it because he is right. Exactly what he said would have ha- would have happened would have happened. And it probably would have made me lock in my, that cognitive dissonance and that blindness even harder had I left for him. Um, so, oh, man. Okay. Year eight. Listen, year eight was a lot of screaming and crying and... Uh, so, so many things crumbling. This, this year's going to get a little, a little woo woo, a little spiritual, I guess, for some of you. Um, it didn't seem horribly weird to me at the time because Mormonism does actually work very closely with the belief in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. And its ability to answer, right? And your ability to interact with that. So the idea of talking to spirit and to receiving guidance from a holy source was not weird to me at all. Um, so I'm just telling you that's where we're headed. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna edit any of this any of this out uh, for comfort's sake. So there you go. So I had. I had a lot of experiences. Um, so many of them did, did wrap around Oprah Super Soul Sunday just because I was finding a lot of the things that I was looking for in there. So it's so hard to get order here because every experience, everything, and I'm not going to be able to hit on even close to all of them, but I will pick a few, um, was a crack in the shell, right? Or a crack in, in the shelf as a lot. I don't know if this is more than a Mormon thing. They always say like, what broke your shelf? Um, which is, yeah, the, the shelf that all of your faith and truth and like all that was resting on, like what broke it. So there were so many cracks, like it was like final steps in like 72 different categories. Like it would like just break, 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 break. Uh, and so I'll just, I'll just share a few, but, um, one of the things that I was really, really struggling with, and I think will be a common denominator amongst people who are coming from very high demand, uh, religions. I had had some pretty beautiful, amazing spiritual experiences within the Mormon faith. Um, I had had some on my mission. I had had some before I had a couple, like there, there are those things in your life that stand out as, as highly, highly significant. And I'd, I'd had a few of those that yeah, spiritual in nature within the Mormon church. Well, what Mormonism does, and again, this is not unique to Mormonism, but um, they they claim that as their own. So this is how it works. If what, what we're taught, what we're told, right, is 
if you've had a spiritual experience or connected to spirit or source or whatever term you want to give it, um, in Mormonism, it would just been God, right? So if you've connected with God and you receive information that is contrary to the church, like, uh, I'll tell a story in a minute about coffee. So let's say you receive information that says, I need to drink coffee and you go and tell the bishop about it, the bishop will inform you in very nice words uh, that you're mistaken, <laughs> that, that God would never, ever tell you something that was contrary to a commandment that was given by you through a prophet of God, which if we just boil that all the way down, uh, you have been communicating or communing with something that is not God. So I think, again, we could probably make the assumption that boils further down to you are communicating with the devil or an evil spirit, right? Who's telling you things that are contrary to God's law. Uh, and that is a whole thing that at some point I will talk about. I'll probably do a little mini podcast about that because it's very, very damaging as well. But um, so they will tell you that, yes, you're you're mistaken like that. That is that is not a thing. But if you receive a spiritual experience or have a spiritual experience that in any way appears to support the church, this is said, like this is not implied, <laughs> this is said over and over again, like this is a testimony building experience. This is proof that the church is true. This is proof that this is God's church. This is proof that Joseph Smith did what he said he did. This is proof that the church was restored onto the earth today. Proof. Okay. So when you've been taught that from the time you were born, uh, it is in your head as a truth. Like the sky is blue. Spiritual experiences support the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The end. So because I had had spiritual experiences, this was one of these points that made me feel like I was attached to two horses running opposite directions because I couldn't reconcile it because I was not willing to lie to myself because the way that it stood, I had two choices. I could say I've had these spiritual experiences, therefore the church is true, or I was crazy. I made it up. It didn't actually happen the way I remembered it happening. Uh, therefore I can now say that the church is not true. Well, that wasn't acceptable to me because I knew what had happened. I knew what I had experienced and I was not about to lie to myself, nor could I, I can't do that. Like I can't make a choice on anything that feels like a lie inside of my body. It just is not something I'm capable of doing. Um, but I was pretty, I was really leaning in this, like, I don't think this is true, but here are these things that are standing that I can't let go of. So there was this beautiful episode um, on Super Soul Sunday, and I need to look up the name of this guy and put it in the in the show notes, but um, <clears throat> because I can't remember his name. But he was an expert in in many religions. He had had, I believe, it was cancer um, a couple of times, and so they were talking about his experience with God through that. And she asked him, like, basically, how do you, how do you reconcile this? Like, you have had all of these different religious teachings. You've been a part of all these different religions. Um, you've had these life, you know, threatening illnesses. How do you make sense of it all? And he said, you know, I look at it like a butterfly. He said, when a, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but this is what I extrapolated out of this. So, he said, when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, 
The caterpillar needs the cocoon. It requires the cocoon to complete that transformation of, of the caterpillar into the butterfly. Now, when the butterfly comes out of the cocoon, he can't go back into the cocoon. It, he would die. Like he, the cocoon is no longer for him. Now, this doesn't mean that the cocoon was bad or wrong or unnecessary. It just means that the butterfly doesn't need it anymore. And something broke in me. Like, I remember where I was standing. I remember what I was doing. Like, something cracked open in me. And I was like, oh, I, I can. I can keep every experience that was mine without saying that I believe the church to be completely true and that I'll go to hell if I leave it. Like, I can hold both. Because just because I had those experiences and they told me, that it meant the church was true. That doesn't mean that that's actually what it means. Like I can hold on to those as something that I was needed. And maybe the church facilitated that. Maybe. I'll even, I'll even give it a maybe that it facilitated those experiences and acted as the cocoon. So it doesn't mean that I have to say only bad things came out of this. I can keep all of the good and I can still fly away. So that was a that was a huge, huge cracking open for me. And it allowed me to kind of disconnect from those horses that were running. Um, another thing that happened. <laughs> this is, oh God, this is like so personal, but that's uh, how I roll. So um, most people who have Mormon friends at this point realize that Mormons wear something called garments. Um, it's basically underwear but a lot of it. So like, like it's like shorts that go down to your knee and an undershirt with sleeves. Um, and we wear these under all of our clothing. So when I started wearing the garments, I started struggling with guys, this is gross. I'm so sorry. Um, I started struggling with boils. Like I was getting boils all over my body, wherever those garments were. Like the rest of it was fine. Like I never got them somewhere where anyone could see them. It was only underneath the garments, uh, but always in like super painful places, like around the waistline. So like your garment is rubbing and then your jeans are rubbing on top of that. Oh, it was horrible. Uh, I was always in pain because I had a big or small version of these just constantly. And I, I tried different fabrics because there, there are options, right? So like I tried more breathable fabrics and... Um, I tried everything I could think of to mitigate this problem for myself. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't working. So I had now been wearing these, this extra layer of clothing uh, for, I'll see, oh yeah, probably coming up on 20 years. So 20 years I've been dealing with this. And I'm so frustrated and I'm so tired and I'm so sick of just hurting and having these things. And and I stopped myself and I, I thought I calmed myself down because I was getting really, really upset. And this was, this was in year eight. So everything's collapsing. Um, I'm getting really, really upset. And I stopped myself and I was like, okay, okay. What if I am like, if Jesus was standing here right now and I explained to him 
what was happening because I was wearing these. Because we believe that it was a commandment from God, right? So if I if I talked to the person who the commandment came through and said, hey, like, I know we're supposed to wear these, but this is what's happening to my body. What do I think that he would say? And it was really beautiful because everything went still inside of me. And I did feel, it felt like I was very close to God or Christ or, or, um, I don't know. It did feel like a a Christ type presence to me. And in my mind's eye, I could see these gentle, beautiful eyes and this loving spirit. And the words that came into my head were, take them off. And I collapsed literally like my knees went out from under me. I collapsed onto a pile on my floor. And I know this sounds dramatic, but again, it's, this is, this is heaven and eternity. We're talking about, this is not a pair of clothing. Like it's not clothing. It's representing something much, much bigger than this. So I collapse into a pile on my floor and I am sobbing. And then I start to panic. I start to panic completely because I'm like, oh my God, what if that's just me? What if I just made that up because I don't want to wear these things anymore? What if that isn't true at all? What if, what if I'm wrong and, and, and I have to wear them? And, and again, this calm feeling came over me and this knowing went through me and I said, or I thought to myself, like, if I'm wrong, if that was not correct, and if Christ would have said, I'm sorry that you have been in agony because of this article of clothing, but yes, you must continue to wear them to remember me by and to remember your promises by. That is not a God that I can believe in. That is not a God that I can worship. And if that is the truth instead of what I got, I don't want anything to do with it. So that was another huge cracking point for me. Um, the last one that I'll share with you, um, Mormons have a have a thing called the word of wisdom, which for those of you not familiar, um, well, if we I could get I could do I could do a podcast on the word of wisdom and all the contradictions in it, but let's we're not we're just gonna say general. Uh, so no coffee, uh, no black or green tea. Uh, it says no tea, but apparently herbal doesn't count. Um, no alcohol, no tobacco, um, stuff like that. So, but there, there's eating healthy and all of this stuff, which is completely ignored, which is why I just said stuff like that. Uh, so the main, the main tenets that you'll see Mormons hammer on, and you have to answer this question in order to get inside the temple is, do you drink coffee? Do you drink alcohol? You know, coffee or tea and alcohol. So I had never had coffee ever, ever, ever. Uh, I, as I mentioned once, have had a ton of health problems, a ton. And I've constantly been reaching and searching for, for things to help. And I have received several of those things really through intuition and inspiration and communication to spirit. And I'll get little nudges like, oh, you should try that. Or, hey, this is the thing. Or someone will say something to me. And then like four other people will say the same thing to me. And it's it's healed so many things for me for um, um, honoring and listening to this intuition. So I was looking for the next thing. And what starts coming through? Again, this is in year eight at some point. What starts coming through? But add coffee. And the first time I got that, I was like, I can't do that. Like, what? 
And I pushed it out immediately. I was like, okay, no. And it kept, I would ask it, it kept coming. Coffee, add coffee, add coffee. And I was so frustrated because I was still like, there was little, I had like, I was hanging off the edge of the cliff now, but like I had like, my little pinkies were holding on, right? Um, and when I, when I did, when I did do that and I added coffee, um, I'll be damned if I didn't start feeling better again. Like a lot of my food issues resolved. Like I wasn't craving sugar anymore. Um, and it, it, cause, and listen, it wasn't, it's not a caffeine thing guys. Like I can drink caffeine and, and go to bed. Like I have ADD. It's not, it's not, this is not a, like I must have it to wake up situation. Um, it really started working with my body very, very nicely. Um, and I was like, well, crap, what, what do I do with that? Like, this is obviously good for my body. I'm not saying it's good for everyone's body, but it was doing wonderful things for me, even though I had been told it was horrible, like that it was just, you know, the, the devil's juice. I don't, I don't know why, why devil's juice, but that's what we're going to stick with. Um, so that was another another crack for me. And although it's hard for me, it's guys, it's really hard for me to lay these cracks out for you because what I know is going to happen and what's already happened to anyone that's listening to this who is still faithful. Well, not anyone to some people who are still faithful. I know all the narratives and that is, well, look at, look at Joe, right? Like he had to have all these horrible things. So that was your trial was wearing garments with boils for 20 years and like you failed at the end or oh coffee so like you just wanted to sin or that actually can't be good for your body like and again that was another test from god that you failed like so it's hard because on on the surface these seem like very small um very worldly very things that could be considered trials and tribulations from god type of thing but it those those were cracks And so the reason these things were so significant to me is because what I realized was that my faith did not actually allow me to freely connect to God. This will be highly disputed amongst members of the church, but let me explain how I got here. If I prayed about coffee and coffee was given to me as something I needed to add it in and I added it in and I felt better, if I felt guided to take my garments off for my health, for my sanity, for my body, for my skin, it didn't matter what I had received from God. Because it was contrary to the church's belief system, that was written off as not from God. I could not actually receive my own personal revelation, which the church has always said that you can. Go to God, receive your own personal revelation. But what I realized was they meant as long as it's in line with what we've said. Otherwise, you're incorrect, you're wrong, you're connecting to bad things. Um, and I had a I had a really hard, painful conversation with my dad about this. And uh, 
he was trying to be understanding to his credit. And I, I know that this was very difficult for him because I'm sure he wanted to say, like, just follow, just follow the teachings, like follow the commandments. But he definitely had a sense that he was losing me. And I think he was trying to, to keep me in as parents do, as I did. And so to his credit, he did say, you know, well, Devery, if, if you're not like, if you're doing these things, cause you felt that you'd received revelation to do these things, then you aren't actually breaking commandments. Like it's okay. You know, it's fine. And, and I was like, dad, it's not fine though, because if I went in to talk to my bishop, who was uh, the head of the local congregation that I was a part of, for those of you who are not members, um, if I went in to talk to my bishop and I said to him, hey, so I want a temple recommend, which is a piece of paper that allows you to walk inside of a Mormon temple, uh, which also equals eternal life and salvation. Because in order to be saved forever and ever and ever with your family, you have to go through the temple. So holding a temple recommend... I mean, they're never going to say it's the equivalent of a pass to heaven, but I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like you, you, you have to have that. So, um, in order for me to get that, I have to answer a series of questions. So if I go into the bishop and they say, and I say, I want a self recommend and they say, okay, great. And they start going through the questions and they say, do you drink coffee? And I say, yes, but God told me to. And they say, do you wear your garments night and day? And I say, no, <laughs> my God told me to. I am not getting a temple recommend. They will not give me one. And so, no, I obviously am considered to be baking the commandments. And more so, my personal revelation that I always thought I had, I don't actually have that. And that was a no-go for me. That was a no-go for me. So this whole time, throughout this whole eight years, what I've really been developing is the ability to look at and break down these systems within the religious environment that I was living in. I started to develop the ability to see, oh, Hey, this is a this is a system of manipulation, right? And this is a system of oppression, and this is a system of control, and this is how it works. Like this is how they're layering things in order for this to always, always work. Um, which was very helpful for me getting out because what I realized once I stepped away. All right, listen, guys, I got a little cocky, I think. Because I had taken eight years to make this decision, I I really thought that I'd work through all my problems. And I did that on purpose. Like, I was like, I'm not leaving until I have sorted all of these answers out. Like, I am not the type of person to, like, put my eternal salvation on the line. I don't know why I got Southern there for a minute. But to put that on the line and then be like, all right, now let's see if I made the right choice. Like, no, that is not who I am. And so I had worked through, like I said, oh, how do I feel about faith? How do I feel about this rule? How do I feel about sex? How do I feel about, you know, uh, drinking coffee and alcohol? How do I feel about like, I went through all of it before I was like, okay, that's it. I feel within myself that I've made the right choice. I feel within myself that, um, this thing is not true. I feel 
calm and confident in this decision. And I feel that uh, my connection to God source agrees with that decision. So I'm going to go. So I really did have this little bit of a cocky attitude of like, okay, I've already done all the hard work. (laughs) Oh man. Then the first year came after I left. And what I, what I realized in that moment was uh, something that I had already referenced earlier, which is I actually had nothing left. I had teenage children and I've always had, I'd always had rules on how to raise teenage children, what they could and couldn't do. I didn't have rules anymore. I couldn't tell my kids like, don't have sex because God said no. Like that it didn't work. I had to figure out like, what am I going to say? What do I believe? What do I think's right? What do I think's wrong? Like, am I going to support it? Like what's going to happen here? I had to figure out if my husband and I were going to start drinking because he was very excited to have a beer with his friends and I freaked the fuck out. And he literally looked at me like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I have been waiting to drink for so long and you're going to tell me I can't have a beer with my friends. And I was like, no, hon, it's just that we have never had a marriage where alcohol was involved. Like, we don't know how either of us is with alcohol in our system. We have no idea if either of us has like an addiction tendency towards alcohol. Like we don't know anything. Like we have to be so careful um, and we're fine. Everything's good. Uh, And he, yes, he very much enjoys beers with his friends. So for those of you who think I didn't let him, we did. But um, there, there were just every time I would turn around, there was another thing that I was like, oh my gosh, that was wrapped into, into this belief system. Every, every sense of you don't do this because that's morally wrong was called into question. Every sense of this is not an acceptable way to behave was called into question. And it's not just, listen, let me, let me break this down. Cause this is, again, this is another reason why I'm so passionate about doing this podcast to offer help to people because we, we have no idea what we're actually walking into until we get there. And we're like, shit, like I don't have anything left. So for example, let's say you're talking to your teenager about sex. And now you have to decide what are the rules? Where are the lines? It's not as simple as that. Now you have to go in and be like, what do I actually believe and why do I believe it? Do I think sex is morally wrong before marriage? Okay, well, yeah, obviously that's a belief I've held forever. Is that correct or is that what I was taught? Well, I mean... I guess maybe that's what I was taught. Okay, so we're going to set that down. And now we have to look. Do I think this is a problem? If I don't, what do I think is a problem? Or are there any problems? How am I going to teach this? What angle am I going to take on this? Like it's like it's resetting belief systems that go clear down to like basic morality and basic what does it mean to be a human being? It is the complete destruction of yourself in order to rebuild something new. And it's very, very easy to not realize that. It's very easy to just continue on, like to leave the church, to stop going to church, but you still keep going with the same behaviors and the same mental patterns because resetting those is is not only a lot of work, but requires an incredible amount of self-awareness. And so I'm hoping that through me telling more parts of my story in the future and me talking to all of these amazing people about their own stories and the own things that they've learned and and the systems that they've broken down that it will be of tremendous 
surface uh, to those of us who are still deconstructing, who are still out there and who just don't know where to turn to. I think, I think that I've talked enough for today. So this is the super, super general outline. Um, there will be a ton more little bits and pieces of my story scattered throughout these interviews. And then, as I mentioned, I hope to be able to do little snippets of things about like intuition and agency and connecting to a higher power and <laughs> some of these manipulation systems that I've been referencing. So I am so glad you are all here. Please, if you have people that are in situations like this and who are struggling, please share this podcast with them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know that it is as hard as they think it is and that they're not being overdramatic or ridiculous, but that it will get better and that there are people to help and that we can all support each other. So thank you again for being here. I love you all. I will talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Ooh.